Good afternoon, and welcome to Best Practices for Securing Third-Party Managed Devices, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Medigate by Clarity and Optive. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we will take those later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time, first, we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Clayton Phillips, CIO at West Tennessee Healthcare, Tom Finn, Market Development Manager at Medigate by Clarity, and Brian Bradley, Healthcare Services Technical Manager with Optive. So let's jump right in. Great conversation. Looking forward to having today. Uh, Clayton, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Yes, sir, definitely. Hey, good afternoon. Um, nestled between uh, the west of us is the home of rock and roll and the renowned uh, St. Jude's Children's Hospital in Memphis. And to the east of us, uh, the home of country music uh, and Vanderbilt in Nashville sets uh, West Tennessee Healthcare. West Tennessee Healthcare prided itself on uh, 70 years of uh, giving service to our community. We have uh, we service area of about 9,000 square miles, uh, covering 19 counties and uh, area in southeast Missouri. Uh, trust was been given to us uh, with because of the compassionate care that we've given. Uh, we have about 90 facilities throughout uh, the West Tennessee area. Very good, Clayton. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. Tom Finn, I'm the Director of Market Development for Medigate, now Medigate by Clarity. Um, as most of you may or may know, we were acquired, Medigate was acquired by uh, Clarity this past uh, January, hence the uh, awkward Medigate by Clarity. I uh, spend almost all of my time working with our integration partners. Uh, do a lot of the content development around that and as such, uh, find myself doing things like this and speaking at industry events about um, you know, the emerging value of uh, integrations that are spanning now uh, a much larger ecosystem than, than it was four or five years ago. Very good, Tom. Thank you. Brian? Hi, Brian Bradley uh, from Optive. Uh, about eight years at Optive, 25 plus years in, in healthcare. Um, I head up everything that uh, healthcare related for Optive. Uh, that includes any of their, your um, risk and compliance type needs, as well as uh, we do high trust. And then I'm also the founder of the uh, uh, Optive uh, Healthcare Center of Excellence. All right. Very good, Brian. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Tom, we're going to start with you. Let's start with some definitions. Explain the difference between managed and unmanaged medical devices. And you can, can you provide some examples of security incidents caused by third-party managed medical devices? Wow. <clears throat> okay. Let's see. There's a lot of anecdotal uh, definitions, but I think uh, the short and sweet of it is in the IT realm, uh, where IT professionals are managing devices generally through the use of um, uh, tools, for example, uh, vulnerability management tools where they can do scanning, active probing, um, uh, 
where devices tend to have agents installed on them. Um, those are generally considered managed devices. Uh, and, uh, you know, use common sense as well here. Um, they're, they're either under management, they're, they're, they're tightly wound, or, or they're not. Unmanaged devices tend to be those uh, medical devices, IOMT in the healthcare realm, um, that you cannot install an agent on. Most health systems have a policy where they, where they will not scan those devices. Um, they need to be discovered passively and they need to be managed completely different, generally by a completely different group of technology management professionals that fall under, for example, the biomedical and clinical engineering professions. Uh, with respect to uh, the problems with unmanaged as opposed to managed devices, um, I, I'm not an encyclopedia on this stuff, but I'm going to quote a lot of uh, stats here because I've written some some papers on it. You know, 82% uh, of health systems were hit, experienced some breach over the last couple of years. 63% of those, according to the data, um, originated through an unmanaged device of some sort, generally a medical device. Um, of those 63%, you're looking at roughly 34% as ransomware. And we're all familiar with, with the problems of ransomware. I think an interesting stat here I can add is that roughly a third of that 34% ended up paying the ransom. And about 69% of them got their data back. Um, so in talking in terms of specific incidents, uh, the one that comes to mind that you know, falls out of this morass of different types of um, exploits uh, was a health system that was proud to announce that it um, received its data back after having paid uh, the ransom and somehow or another thought it was off the hook. Uh, spoken during a press conference where um, that breach ended up uh, costing the health system well over $65 million. So um, we've heard about those incidents. Uh, they're not always that uh, profound, uh, but they're all painful. And the unmanaged uh, device realm seems to be the most exploitable point of entry. Very good. Brian, your thoughts? I think, uh, I mean, as far as the unmanaged, definitely is definitely the probably the, the biggest concern. Uh, Along the, that area is also, you know, how they're uh, the different steps. I think is very interesting in how organizations are are um, addressing that issue. Very good, Clayton. Yeah, just to add to that, you know, uh, I look at it from a uh, uh, inventory management uh, perspective. You know, those I started my career cut, cutting my teeth on Cisco switches and routers and things of that nature. Uh, managed devices are usually those that are able to scan, uh, gather a unique serial number, and can be automatically mapped into uh, an asset type. Uh, however, uh, the other end of that spectrum there is those unmanaged devices, uh, those that are CT scanners, MRI machines, uh, infusion pumps. Those are the ones that are areas of concern for, especially that in healthcare. Uh, usually, and that's because of uh, FDA regulations saying that they can't add any agents or any antivirus to that. So uh, again, those are the ones that are of 
very grave concern for the healthcare, especially here at West Tennessee Healthcare. All right, very good. Next question. Um, Clayton, we're going to stick with you. How are health systems securing managed medical devices today? And why do you think this may lead to overconfidence? What should they be doing? I think one of the one of the ideas here for our webinar is that, you know, managed medical devices, the term may even give you a false sense of security, but there are still issues there. So your thoughts? Yeah. Um, based on my experience, um, management of uh, medical devices today, it starts with uh, understanding and knowing exactly what you have on your network. Uh, and for us, uh, that was a approach that we took here uh, probably about a little over about two years ago. Uh, managing medical devices was not in the area of IT uh, per se. Uh, it fell in the area of that of biomed here within our organization. Uh, so once we did understand that, you know, there are security vulnerabilities that are associated with these devices, what we decided to do is engaged Optiv, who is here on the call with on the webinar with us today, uh, to do some uh, third party work for us to determine exactly what we have on a network. Uh, also included in that was uh, Medigate, uh, which is uh, also incorporated within uh, our our uh, network to determine those uh, medical devices and IoT devices. Yes, it does give you a sense of uh, um, overconfidence, just knowing that, that, that you know, we know what's on the network, but what we have failed to do and what we're trying to enforce our team to do is to once vulnerabilities are determined uh, to do something about it. You know, oftentimes we have data that's coming in and info is coming in, but if you're not going to use that, uh, it's, it's defeating the purpose. So uh, that's what we should be doing. And that's what we have started incorporating once those uh, the, uh, managed tools or tools for management has determined that there are issues. Next step is to uh, put something in action proactively to make sure that we are trying to mitigate those vulnerabilities and those risks. So, Clayton, the, the first step is getting an inventory and, and you brought in outside help to do that. That's a that's a pretty large project, it sounds like. It's not simple. It's not say, hey, let's just go check out what we have. We got our inventory. T talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we did discover is that, you know, uh, we are a lean shop, very lean. Uh, so we didn't have the opportunity just to go around and uh, look into the closets or look uh, through our uh, switches. And we had a somewhat outdated uh, infrastructure that wouldn't allow us to get uh, or determine what was connected at the end of those uh, network ports. So after understanding that, we decided that being that we didn't have the resource to do it, somebody has done this before and there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. So we, we engaged uh, uh, Optive and which in turn uh, engaged uh, Medigate to bring in a solution for us that was able to determine uh, and I think uh, Tom mentioned earlier, you know, um, probing medical devices and scanning those are not a good idea. Um, so what we ended up doing is being able to bring in uh, Medigate uh, and it's doing it in a, in a uh, passive manner to where we're able to determine uh, what we have and where it is and uh, be able to better manage uh, those uh, particular medical devices. And as you said, once you have that inventory and you know about vulnerabilities, then you have to do something about those. 
It's not just getting the inventory and you're done. Yes, that's correct. Oh yeah. All right, very good, Brian. Uh, just yeah, I was going to say just to add to that. I mean, Optum performs uh, HIPAA risk assessments for hundreds of, of health organizations around the country every year, and and one thing we notice, I mean, it, it seems that a lot of organizations are taking a proactive approach. Uh, they're actively segmenting those devices off. They're uh, trying to inventory them. Uh, and then we have those that are very reactive. You know, they, they think, oh, well, it's, a, it's probably a large company, you know, GE, Philips, whatever. Uh, they're probably doing the right thing. And they have this, this uh, attitude of trust. And, and you should trust your vendor. But, you know, like with anything in security, uh, trust but verify. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to know what's going on in your environment and, and taking that uh, proactive uh, approach is, is, I think, becoming very, uh, you really don't have a choice nowadays. It used to be that, you know, you probably get away with, with uh, just putting things off to the side, segmenting them off and, and you'd be okay, but definitely those days are gone. That's an interesting point. We'll talk about that a little more down the road about uh, the vendors and, uh, the relationship there and what you can count on them for and where you have to push them and all that type of thing. Uh, but Tom, what are your thoughts? Well, just as a practical matter, and I'm, I'm sure that um, uh, Clayton lived through this uh, with Brian's support, but when you do get a handle around um, your inventory of connected assets, uh, one of the first things that happens is uh, threat intel is processed and correlated um, to devices that have vulnerabilities, existing vulnerabilities. So you, you would imagine you make an investment in visibility, you want to know immediately where your vulnerabilities reside and you want to get to work uh, as quickly as you can, mitigating those vulnerabilities so that you can establish some momentum and show wins internally to, to management who back the investment. So I say as a practical matter, uh, once that visibility is created, uh, the vulnerabilities are made known and the mitigation plans are uh, lined up. Um, there's some significant improvement in the organization's overall security posture that can be achieved quickly. And those quick wins when reported effectively have a tendency to keep the funding coming to continue to add, you know, essential other layered defense products. So Tom, that's interesting. Uh... I guess you don't want to have a lag between gaining visibility and, and sort of patching or, or doing whatever remediation uh, you should be doing once you realize what you have. You don't want a big lag there. You want to be ready to immediately once visibility is in because then you have no excuse, right? I, I, you knew about it on this date and you didn't yeah. do anything about it till this date. Well, yeah, it was a big process. Talk to me more about that. Is that something you want to think about before you even go about attaining visibility? I think uh, uh, what you'd want to be thinking about, because um, you would know this going in, I don't think there are very many folks that invest in a visibility solution and don't realize that they're going to be presented with a, a laundry list of existing vulnerabilities that they need to address. So prioritizing them is something that has probably been thought about based on the service line and other practical uh, uh, business elements of uh, the discussion that take place. but. Um, I would say under having an understanding or anticipating the compensating controls that are going to need to be exercised to address those vulnerabilities, especially in medical devices, is something that was probably discussed uh, 
you know, throughout the evaluation process of the visibility tool. And uh, I hope I'm not talking around it too much here, but, you know, uh, the most prolific driver of our business is segmentation or some sort of a containment strategy. And, uh, and so generally speaking, the quickest way to address um, these existing vulnerabilities is, uh, of unmanaged devices is to get them segmented so that when something bad happens, at least you've got the problem contained. Clayton, is, is, uh, is there anything there to, in terms of an issue of a, of a lag between uh, visibility and remediation? Is, is that something to be concerned about or you think that's a non-issue? Oh, it's, it's, it's a concern. And um, one of the things that uh, really sent up a red flag for me is uh, a, a conversation that I had uh, with our uh, uh, chief legal officer, our attorney. And what she said is, Clayton, if those vulnerabilities are discovered and there's a lag between the time that they are discovered and something is done to uh, mitigate that risk, that's called uh, negligence and there's no due diligence process there. So <laughs> that really incited me to do all the things that we needed to do. And that's why I, I pushed the team quite a bit. Hey, once it's discovered, annotate it, work on mitigating that risk. So there need to be no lag in between that time. Very good. Very good. Okay. Just one other comment yes. uh, on the segmentation piece. I mean, we, we come across a lot of hospitals and I think almost every organization knows segmentation is something they should do. But, you know, depending on the size of the organization, the, the age of the equipment, things like that. I mean, it's a monumental task to, to add that segmentation to a network. So it's, it's definitely something that, you know, uh, IOMT devices, you know, out of the picture, that's still something that every organization should be thinking about now because it, it plays a role in just about every aspect of your security. Well, let's Brian, talk. No. Go ahead, Tom, please. Go ahead. No, no I was just going to say, Brian's right. It's not always an option, um, but there are things through the visibility that's provided that, you know, low-hanging fruit like cleaning up VLANs, um, mm -hmm. as an example. Um, you know, you have exposure to mixed VLANs uh, and, you know, easy opportunities um, to, to make improvements. And I, I want to say, I, I thought what Clayton said there was significant because I believe that negligence has been redefined in the current setting. But I think the way in which it has been redefined as evidence, for example, in the HIPAA Safe Harbor Act that passed about a year ago, is that as long as you're taking steps to identify that inventory, and once you have that visibility, taking steps to secure the assets that are connected, if you're showing progress, that's a really good thing, and that's what that's what the regulatory bodies want to see. If you're not showing any progress, that's when uh, you know the safe harbor doesn't apply to you, and it's a punitive situation if you're breached. Brian, let's talk a little bit more about segmentation. It's it's one of the tools that can be used to deal with vulnerabilities. Uh, but you're saying it's not quick. Uh, can no. you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. I mean, depending on the, the equipment, and, and right now it seems to be most of the organizations I come up with, it, it's staffing, right? Everybody's experiencing staffing issues right now. Um, 
but but just the, the planning, the design of, of implementing segmentation, uh, especially if you've got equipment that needs to be upgraded, things like that. I mean, it's, it's just a monumental task. But it, then again, you know, it should be your, your first step. It really should be because, I mean, based on that, you can secure your, your administrative paths to your equipment. You can start segmenting your, your IOMT equipment. You know, there's just a whole host of things that you can do, but it all it starts with that that segmentation. Clayton, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, um, because of the uh, risk assessment we were able to do here a couple of years back, uh, it showed us what areas of concern and that some of that was that, that of uh, older equipment. And because we could show this to our board, we were funded like never before <laughs> for network infrastructure and security. Uh, so right now we're in the middle of a rip and replace of a complete network infrastructure. So the beauty of that is that we have the ability to design that segmentation as we are putting it in. And, you know, uh, for my network engineers and uh, the security guys, I mean, they're like kids at a candy store this, during this uh, implementation because they have a, 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 a desire to want to do it the right way. So, um, yep. yeah, definitely segmentation is the way to go in order to uh, mitigate a lot of these risks. I would just add um, very briefly, because this is important, um, the segmentation marketplace from a technology um, solution provider perspective is in the process of being big time disrupted. Uh, there's a lot of new capability that is surfacing and uh, uh, to the point that Clayton just made with new infrastructure, there are going to be things that he's going to be able to accomplish at the access switch layer um, that makes his segmentation project almost unrecognizable to those uh, that were executed or are ongoing over the last few years. Um, it's a good thing. Um, but you know, we've moved from, for sure, uh, segmentation being this uh, never-ending science project uh, to a place now where it can be it can be accomplished, and there are new technologies emerging that you know the audience ought to investigate. So, a couple of things come to mind there based on things discussed. First, Clayton, I want you to talk a little bit more about the discussions you had with the board. So, it sounds like. In terms of, of a sequence, uh, you had uh, the outside help come in to do the risk assessment. You take the risk assessment to the board and you say to the board, here's what's going on. And when you present it in a, the proper business terms and relate it to the business, they say, well, we don't want any part of that. So here, whatever you need, make this stuff go away because we read newspapers, too, and we yes. don't want to be in them. So is that sort of the sequence you would recommend to your colleagues is you need to get the big picture, maybe bring in some outside help to get the picture, the risk picture, then you take that to the board and tell your story. Most definitely. I mean, you have to have uh, the ammunition and uh, both Medigate and Opti provided us that ammunition. Uh, previously, you know, uh, we didn't have that to present them, present to the board in a manner in which they would understand it. But it's a wonder what graphs and colors can do uh, to get our board to understand, you know, the significance of those, significance of those risks. That coupled with, uh, you know, the major breaches that you've seen with healthcare uh, and the influx of that over the last couple of years, uh, that of the Colonial Pipeline and 
solar winds. So all of those things factored into uh, the board understanding exactly what we were in, uh, up against in regards to uh, making sure that our patient uh, data is secure, confidential, and integrity remains intact. Brian, you understand when you're brought in for engagements, uh, the sequence, right? It may be come in and do an assessment and provide me with information that I can then take to the board. Is that a lot of times the, what the dynamic that's going on? Correct. I mean, almost usually when organizations, especially, you know, obviously in healthcare, uh, they're either trying to meet their, their PI requirements, attestation requirements, or, or, you know, they know they've got issues and, and they're maybe a new CISO has just taken over and they're trying to get a, a handle on where the organization's at. Um, just to clarify also, uh, Optiv uses Medigate in our risk assessments. So I, I didn't want anybody to think that just from, from us doing our risk assessment process that we were able to find all these, these um, vulnerabilities that, that Clayton's uh, organization had. We did have the help of the Medigate device. Uh, it, it's just something that we do as part of our risk assessment. But, you know, it gives us additional um, view into you know, are we seeing unencrypted PHI out there? Are we seeing any type of uh, questionable connections with with Medigate device or with uh, medical devices, things like that? And so, but uh, yeah, as, as we go through that risk assessment, we go through that process. I mean, you were talking before about negligence. Uh, we always recommend, you know, do a thorough risk assessment, find everything you can think of because I, I look at it as a CYA. Uh, mm. If I come in and do that risk assessment, I, I list out all your problems, and then if you got that that corrective action plan that you're you're putting into place after the risk assessment is complete, then if OCR shows up at your door, you go, well, yeah, I already knew about that. And we are doing this about that particular issue. And if and as long as they're showing movement and they're not taking that cap and it's a one-time, you know, it's a document that they they create and put on a shelf. Uh, I've had several clients that that have been under active OCR investigations. Uh, after one of our risk assessments, and we've actually gotten kudos from them uh, mm. because of the report and and the actions that the the uh, uh, the organization was taking to to actually address those those findings. Tom, anything you want to add there? No, just um, real quick on Brian's point. Um, traditional security risk assessments are now giving way to what I would call live security risk assessments, which is exactly what uh, Brian and Clayton are talking about. Uh, instead of thinking in terms of just evaluating a visibility tool, for example, think in terms of it supporting a live security risk assessment with a specific objective of providing an informative um, expose of the risk the organization has for purposes of securing budget to do something about it. Um, so. Yeah, um, that's just a different way of looking at a risk assessment or a different way of looking, I suppose, at an evaluation of a product. Okay, Tom, I want to uh, follow up on something you mentioned before about uh, how quickly technology is moving in this area, especially around segmentation. Things are changing rapidly. You have advice for people like Clayton on how you can sort of future-proof what you're doing so you don't make large investments that sort of quickly become obsolete as technology moves forward? Um, well, gee, I don't want to get into the business of promoting uh, one vendor versus another, but I would say that 
if you investigate what the analysts are all saying, they're suggesting that the uh, the network access control marketplace is going to be completely disrupted over the next few years with technologies that incorporate or integrate the visibility um, and visibility that is not just limited to device identities, uh, some attribution, but uh, as Clayton well knows, and Brian knows, um, visibility that includes, for example, the recommended security policies for those devices, and making that available in, in now uh, through, let's say, uh, what's referred to as an access control list uh, that could be moved into a NAC, or in real time at the access switch layer, these decisions can be made. And that's where the new technologies are heading. And I think that we're within 24 months of seeing uh, new segmentation products stood up during an evaluation with a visibility product to which it is integrated, where you will be able to demonstrate baseline segmentation in the course of a proof of value. Now that's a big move forward relative to a two year project um, uh, to try to get to the same place. So my advice is to, to <clears throat> understand that there are significant um, uh, improvements being made here and uh, check out um, check out what the, the big analyst firms are saying about it. Clayton, I'd love to get your thoughts around the idea of, of as much as possible future-proofing the things that you're spending money on to give yourself flexibility as things evolve. I mean, eventually you have to sort of put your chips down and make decisions, but uh, is that something you think about to some degree, wanting to make sure you're flexible? Yes, most definitely. Uh, and in healthcare, um, especially now, um, in that uh, financial performance isn't as what it used to be prior to COVID. Um, the investments we're making now uh, we want to do due diligence again in making sure that it is future proof. Uh, one thing I can say prior, prior to the network uh, refresh, the infrastructure refresh we're doing now, we got a great return on investment uh, with the uh, product that we were using to where we've had it in, in house and in operation for uh, almost 15 years. So, um, you know, what I, what I, um, tasked our third party vendor with uh, in uh, future proofing it is, hey, I want the same resilience, the same uh, return on investment and in what we're doing now, uh, being that especially, you know, at that time, uh, there was no IOT. Now everybody and every doctor and every patient uh, have a desire to have connectivity within our network. So we had to make sure that it's robust enough for not just now, but uh, eight, 12, we, hopefully right. not 12 years, but at least <laughs> years from now. <laughs> Brian, anything there you want to touch on? No, I think they've covered it. I mean, I, I, I think um, as you're, I see a lot of companies go out and, and, you know, I see companies put a lot of thought into what they're purchasing and, and putting, you know, especially uh, the comment that Tom made about, you know, you no know, company goes in and buys uh, a tool and not realizing, you know, what what are the consequences of of what that tool is going to provide you. You mm -hmm. need to act on it. But I, I sadly, we we've done a lot of security assessments where uh, I've seen uh, security managers, CIOs, both go out and buy a ton of security products, put them in place, 
And now they've got all this data, but they do nothing with it, right? So they're actually making their, their you know, increasing their level of risk because now you can prove you knew about these vulnerabilities, but you didn't do anything about it. And it's not through, I mean, I know it technically it is negligence, but I mean, they just don't have the staff to deal with it. But, you know, it all comes into that, that you, you need to, when you're, when you're approaching these types of purchases and, and as your uh, security program in whole, I mean, you need to approach it from a strategic standpoint. It's not a, you know, hey, that looks pretty, let's put that in, you know, so. Right. I, Go ahead. I, I just would add, because I think uh, Brian's touching on a, a point, which I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Clayton has felt, as you continue to add uh, these layered defense solutions, false positives explode and it is a oft overlooked problem. It is a double-edged sword. It's not just now I know my vulnerabilities, so I better do something about it. It's I've received budgets to put in a smart stack here and I've got so many false positives. I don't even know what matters anymore. Um, um, that's an area where I think we're going to be, see some solutions emerge where the collaboration between vendors like Medigate and the device manufacturers are going to start to have an impact. But that's another story. It's just, it's just something that needs to be out there. Um, you add in these tools, you explode the number of false positives. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a, a good point. Uh, you can't sort of uh, use all your resources on finding out the issues and leave nothing left for dealing with them. That's a bad place to be. Uh, Clayton, were you gonna say something? Yeah, I mean, uh, I just wanted to highlight the beauty of the tool. Just prior to the risk assessment um, that uh, Optiv done for it, did for us, uh, had another company come in and did a risk assessment without the tool. Uh, and it was based on policy procedures, administrative safeguards, things of that nature. And I'm, I'm scoring really, really high. And then when Brian <laughs> came in with the tool, I'm like, what happened between these two years? So the beauty of that tool is showed a true depiction of where we really were. And the thing again about the tools, um, and, and Tom hit on it again, you know, we also implemented a SIM solution and we are inundated with information left and right. And I'm like, okay, another company called, hey, I have this product. I'm like, that's not a problem I have right now. The problem right. I have is how to ingest this information I have right now and take care of it and make sure that those things are moved upon. So I just wanted to highlight, you know, the beauty of having that tool in regards to uh, uh, the risk assessment. Now, Clayton, if you were if you were a bad executive, you would have thrown him out and said, I want that other guy back who told me how good I was. <laughs> and that does happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, but I had a conversation with the attorney again, and uh, I don't look well in orange, so. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. All right, let's talk a little bit more about uh, about the vendors, uh, because this is an interesting topic. Clayton, let's start with you. How are health systems managing medical device vendors in terms of vetting, connectivity, reevaluations? What is or should be the manufacturer's role in improving medical device security? I've heard CISOs say that health systems need to hold the vendors feet to the fire in the sense that they need to put stronger language into contracts and stick to it. What are some of your thoughts? And some of these device vendors have a lot of power. You could be a small health system and you're trying to call one of the big device vendors and you, you know, 
they're not going to pay you too much mind in terms of changing the way they do things. But your thoughts there? Yeah, uh, a couple of stats in regards to that. You know, uh, I saw somewhere uh, where only 24% of security teams confirm that their organization collaborate with a third party uh, to improve their security measures. Uh, about 57% of the organization don't even have an inventory of third parties from whom they share their data and their information. Uh, and 63% of data breaches have caused by, were caused by security vulnerabilities introduced by um, a third party. Uh, for for our, our organizations, uh, our organization, uh, risk management and vendor management had been under uh, a separate umbrella. And for healthcare, for the longest, risk management means how to uh, reduce the number of slip and falls. Uh, and it didn't incorporate IT. So after understanding that IT was a, uh, a risk with for the organization that uh, equated to that of slip and falls, um, what we started to do is develop uh, some risk management processes. It's in its infancy, infancy now. And again, this the catalyst of this was a uh, security risk assessment that was given to us a couple of years ago. Uh, but far as vendors, you know, uh, for our organization and others I've been in uh, or affiliated with, uh, vendor management always resided under either compliance uh, and IT wasn't a factor or the umbrella in which it, uh, it dwelled. Uh, so for vendors now, um, what I have uh, asked our uh, team to do is to start a better vetting process. Uh, one of the things that we did previously was, okay, uh, the vendor has a or has established a BAA with us, uh, so that's good enough. But what are we asking our vendors about? Uh, how are they uh, purposing their or protecting their environment or how are they protecting the data in which we share with them? Uh, so what our team has done, in, which uh, we incorporated with our uh, project management office, is a uh, risk assessment that we send them. Uh, they, they send uh, we send them a uh, a um, for lack of better words uh, assessment to, for us to get a better understanding of what they are doing in regards to safeguards around security. Uh, so that and the thing about that is once it's started, we have to do a reevaluation. And what we have done in the past as, okay, they came in in, in 2005 and they maintained their uh, relationship with us, but things have changed since 2005. Yeah, so right. our, our, our goal now is to ensure that as uh, we continue to do business with them to make sure that we modify or, or check on their process to make sure that they are doing the same thing we are doing uh, to ensure that uh, they are held accountable for the protection of our data. Right. Right. Very good. Brian? I was going to say, just to add on to what Clayton was saying, during the assessment, I mean, we, we find that there's there's a couple challenges here. One, you know, Clayton talked about um, when you go into that purchase and IT should be vetting those vendors, a lot of times either that, that whole procurement process is through an actual procurement department or maybe it's through your legal team. Uh, but a lot of times that, that communication between those departments doesn't always happen. Uh, if we do see vetting, it seems to be, you know, the, the privacy officer or the legal team is saying, oh, yeah, this is this is a vendor that maybe, you know, they, they've got a lot of access into PHI. Maybe we should get IT involved. 
but for every one of those, there's probably three that the, the um, you know, because your, your privacy officer and your, your legal team typically aren't technical. Uh, so they don't realize that there's more connectivity to this vendor than what they realize. And so they don't always get the, the IT team involved. And, and there's, there's a huge issue with that. And then the other thing, like uh, Clayton also said, I mean, I, I go in and I find vendors that you signed up in year one and, you know, they may do nothing but send an email. I've seen some privacy officer send an email to the, to the vendor and go, hey, are you still HIPAA compliant? You are? Okay, great. And, and that's, that's their program. But then when we start looking in and, you know, I come in and do a risk assessment, we start talking to some of these vendors. Oh, by the way, our data center, it used to be in Michigan. Now it's in, in you know, uh, uh, India and they didn't even know about it, right? They haven't updated the, the, uh, the contracts, maybe the, the, the data center that they were uh, putting uh, their equipment in, maybe it's changed owners, you know, but yeah. it's, uh, and they just they just do all these things automatic, and a lot of times the you know they just don't know. So that that vendor vetting is is I mean it's just it's got to be not a one time and done thing. It's got to be something that that is continued throughout the life of the contract. But uh, Brian, we talked about resources being constrained. This sounds like especially for a large health system where you have dozens, hundreds of vendors. Uh, you've got you, you can establish a process for you could change your process for bringing on new vendors. That sounds fairly manageable. We come up with a new process. It's more intensive. But as you mentioned, you've got that whole backlog of all those vendors and to to just be on top of them to the degree you need to be just seems to me. I don't know how it's manageable. Well, I mean, most organizations that I see, I mean, you're right. I mean, I was just at a uh, working with the health system and and they had somewhere around 900 vendors yeah. that they were managing. And, you know, you've got one privacy officer and she's trying to handle this, not to mention all the other privacy related uh, jobs that she has to do. But uh, I mean, definitely outsourcing uh, as it is in IT, it's the same thing for the privacy side. I mean, uh, they need to start looking at outsourcing and automation. I, I can't, I can't state automation enough. Uh, you, you've got to have some tool that tells you, you know, that, that maybe send automated, automates the the sending out of those those uh questionnaires or assessments whatever you want to call them to the vendor and then tracking you know how are they doing where are the issues and then you've got to make sure you have to have that strong relationship between your it department and your procurement so that when you know if if she's he or she is managing that that assessment process and it comes back and all oh, these these issues are here you know making sure that those issues get back to the it team so they can actually deal with them because a lot of times I've seen it where they, yeah, they, they, you know, the, the scoring on the assessment is not very good, but it stays right there in the privacy officer and never goes anywhere. And so the IT team still doesn't know about it. Tom. Yeah. Well, all of this is, uh, is interesting. I mean, the, one of the most obvious things that can occur since, uh, you know, for example, Clayton sitting on a dynamically risk scored inventory of his assets, making that risk score, which is associated with the device, specifically, um, an available new data point to the procurement people who are holding a scorecard on all of their suppliers would seem like a natural integration, right? So now if I'm looking at uh, perhaps rationalizing my suppliers uh, of infusion pumps, I want to move more volume to fewer players, I can start to look at their risk performance as one of the the drivers of my decision process. Another component, which is 
brand spanking new. And as an old supply chain guy, I mean, um, that's where I'm coming from here. Uh, the idea that utilization of these assets is, is information now that is being collected. The opportunity for Clayton to provide utilization data to the supply chain folks is huge. Um, the opportunity to use that information to be smarter about when you buy, how you negotiate, um, the opportunity to look at that information as a way to validate service level agreements, for example, that uh, you may need negotiating as part of a purchase. These ecosystems are coming together now, um, which is exactly what's supposed to happen, right? Um, but we're at the infancy. And so picking off little bits like the risk score, the performance score uh, of um, you know, one infusion pump vendor versus another and making that information available to procurement is a place to start. Excellent. All right, we're going to go to my favorite section here, ask a co-panelist and... Clayton, well, one gonna... oh sorry i, I just Brian, have one other ahead. comment just i, I don't want to get on my soapbox but but tom well, brought this up i think up you're and... getting on it it's okay go ahead get <laughs> that's, on it. that's risk management i mean clayton's clayton's talked about all this data that's coming in tom talks you know was talking about risk i mean it really comes down to that if you're constantly getting inundated with all these different tools the information they provide you've got all these decisions on where where should you go strategically i, I can't stress it enough you you've got to approach everything from a risk-based uh, perspective. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of important things, but you need to look at what are your company goals, what what tools support those goals, and what's the risk. That's the, that's the key to getting that, that message to your board so that they fund what you're trying to you do. And again, it, ha it has to be put into a uh, a nice neat, nice, neat package, and, mm -hmm. and risk is the, is the vehicle to do that. Great point, Brian. Thanks for jumping in with that. Um, ask a co-panelist. I'm going to let Clayton go first. I want to see what he's curious about because we got some pretty smart co-panelists with you on the line, Clayton. So what do you want to ask these two gentlemen? Um, yeah, um, I've seen here over the uh, last few years where the Biomet uh, team falls uh well, within our organization, it falls under support services. And I see that there is a trend to where Biomed is moving under the umbrella of IT. What have you seen and what would be the advantage of moving them under the IT umbrella? Tom, let's start with you. <clears throat> well, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I think that... Um, it's become obvious to all of us now that getting IT and technology management professionals, biomed, clinical engineering, getting everybody singing from the same sheet of music, exercising you know, relevant cuts of the same common data foundation is absolutely smart and, it, and uh, it's going to drive leverage. Well, that leverage is going to be a result of convergence. And I think you're going to see new titles, new roles, new skill sets emerge that bridge IT and biomed. And I think it's a good thing. It's already happening. But the idea as to whether or not uh, biomed uh, and other technology professionals necessarily run under IT, um, I'm not going to scratch my head on that and plead the fifth, Clayton. Um, I think they should be leveraging the same data set. Uh, 
Um, and uh, I don't think that's even arguable. I think that, as I said, the, the workflows need to converge. For goodness sake, you talked about staffing shortages. One of the things that, you know, these technologies do is have a tendency to provide, you know, an upskilling for people. They're, the automation is eliminating a lot of outdated routines. They're able to pursue more meaningful tasks. There's a lot of value there that health systems can capture, not the least of which is provide more clarity to the career path of these folks. So um, I think it's all positive, but with regard to who reports to who, I'm not sure I... Uh, I'm not sure I have really thought about that. All right, well, let's take it over to Brian. Have you? What are you? Are you going to take a stand on that, Brian? Oh, I definitely will. I, oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> He's not afraid. I, I'm probably dating myself here, but you remember back in the old days uh, when when radiology was the the IoT back then, and and you had different departments that were you know radiology needed. Uh, extra IT support. And so they would break off and you'd have an IT department that ran nothing but radiology or maybe laboratory because of their requirements. Uh, if you've been around healthcare and IT, you notice that that didn't work real well. You inevitably have different personalities and management structures. And then depending on how you set up that, that management structure, I mean, you, it usually ends up being adversarial almost. Uh, I'm already starting to see that with IOT. Uh, I was just working with a hospital the other day and they had broken off a, a IOT team. Um, and they supposedly work under the same, uh, set of policies that the IT team does. But then again, they had different processes, uh, and different management. The two, two, the two teams weren't talking and, and they were competitive against each other because now you're competing for FTEs, right? So, it's a definite issue. I, I, I see it as, I think IoT obviously needs, needs to go under IT, but I think you need to be very, very thoughtful in how you set up that management. And if you're going to break off a team and, and how you're going to have teams answering to each other and things like that. I, I just think there's there's such a um, possibility of things blowing up in your face. Well, Tom, Tom, not only did he make a decision, but he said it was obvious. So well, how does that make you feel? Um, yeah, well, I guess that's the question of the day now. It's how I feel. Um, but, uh, um, no, I would just say that uh, uh, I think he's probably right. But um, I, you know, what we do know is that in times of emergency, these different silos get together and try to figure stuff out. And that's definitely not sustainable practice. You give them a common data foundation and you get rid of what historically you could characterize as cross-functional competition and make it a cross-functionally collaborative environment. I, I don't mean to be buzzy here, but those are those are the right words. Getting these people together uh, is a smart thing to do. Who ends up reporting to whom, I think, um, as these new... Um, uh, roles emerge like a medical device engineer, for example, security, medical device security engineer, um, where, you know, where he or she lives and who reports to them. I'm not sure it's necessarily all that important. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Just just one clarification. I, I will say that when when I'm my comments were based on compliance. Right. I mean, I'm looking at when, when I'm going in and I'm looking at, uh, at an organizational processes. I'm looking at, are you following policy? Are you following those, you know, every process? Is, is every action done 
in a established documented process. And the more organizations that you have, it's just become harder. I'm not saying it can't be done. I mean, mm -hmm. I've seen, uh, you know, you could definitely have new roles under the IT department. You could have them, um, you know, focus on supporting the IT team. But I, again, I, I think it's really important to work out that chain of command and how the teams work together. I think the key word here in this discussion, sorry, I think the key word here in this discussion is a collaboration effort. It has to be a collaborate, collaborative effort between both uh, those that manage uh, um, medical devices and that of uh, network components as well. So I think collaboration is a key. I, I was just going to say, we Brian and I missed it. The most obvious answer to Clayton's uh, question was, they should all report to Clayton. <laughs> I know I know Clayton well enough. That's not an answer he wants to hear. I was right. <laughs> All right. Well, we only have uh, very little time left. I just want to do a lightning round of of final uh, sort of piece of advice. Um, and Clayton, let's let's position this to a CIO or a CISO at a a comparable sized institution to yours, who's you know, kind of grappling with these uh, unmanaged and managed devices and maybe it doesn't know really where to start. Yeah, I think uh, the key point of starting is to uh, uh, establish a partnership with a company such as uh, Optive, a company that is um, uh, has been down this road before. Uh, because the, the, what, the win that we get from that is being able to uh, do our due diligence in gathering the ammunition we needed to fund those projects that uh, are uh, that in times past wasn't on the forefront, but now that they are. So uh, my suggestion would be uh, start with a uh, a partnership that you can depend on uh, to provide you that data uh, to take to your boards. Brian. Uh, well, I'm in compliance, so uh, my, my answer is a little bit about that. I mean, it, everything in compliance, everything in, in, a, in a good, well-managed uh, security program always starts with documentation, right? Getting that, that uh, get your processes in place, get them documented. Uh, most of the issues I see are because people do one-offs, and that's what mm. kills you. You've got to have standard processes. And then based on those processes, it's, you know, what kills you is what you don't know, right? You've got to have the right tools so that you can see what's in your environment and so that you can address it. If you, if you don't have the right processes and you don't have the, at least the, the visibility into your, your network, I mean, everything sort of comes after those two items. Tom, we'll give you the last word. Uh, I would say simplify. Um, you know, foundationally, it's all about visibility. Um, how that visibility is orchestrated uh, to the systems, other systems that need it uh, in your security ecosystem is where the value is going to be driven. And along those lines, when you listen to various vendors who are pitching you out there who claim that they integrate with everybody, um, learn the difference between an API data exchange and a value engineered a use case that is a result of that data exchange. Uh, you know, all integrations are not created equal. I would search for people that have the domain expertise and can put you in touch with uh, referenceable clients who have operationalized 
the integrations that are going to matter most to you. Go see them. Make, don't take anybody's word for it. See it in action. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and you can go to our website to register for upcoming events. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Clayton Phillips, Tom Finn, and Brian Bradley. And I want to thank our sponsors, Medigate by Clarity and Optive. And I want to thank you, our attendees. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.